Welcome to Digital Health Unfiltered. I'm Sudipto Srivastava. And I am Nick Jeans. In this podcast, we share our insights from the cutting edge of health IT. Well, hello, everybody. So today, you know, we thought we'll talk about the intersection of digital and mental health. Now, this is a huge topic, and we can probably take 75 episodes just covering this one topic alone and still not do justice to it. But I think, you know, you'll find today's episode interesting because, you know, we have someone with a unique perspective on this thing, you know, an an ex-colleague of mine. um, And rather than me sort of talk more about her, Elise, welcome to the to Digital Health Unfiltered. Hi, thanks, Adipto Nick. I'm very happy to be here. So, my name is Elise Cole Grant. I'm the Chief Information Officer at IMSNY, and you know, I really started off my career in the tech space. And like most of us, I wanted to do something a little more meaningful in my life. And I transitioned over to the healthcare industry because I really wanted to make a difference and an impact. And once I got into the healthcare industry. I looked around and I was immediately taken back by uh, mental health. I was very intrigued by the mental health area. And that might be because I've had previous experience um, growing up as a teenager in Oakland and Berkeley, California. I had a friend, Melissa, and she was diagnosed with bipolar and schizophrenia at age 19. Uh, She and I hung out a lot. I noticed that she was a little off in some instances. She uh, would sometimes have these personality switches that ca- that felt like they came out of nowhere. And she would go into these deep, dark places uh, with people and her family and her friends. And it wasn't until I went off to college at age 17 when one day my mom called me and she said, you know, I see Melissa walking down the street and she's yelling at herself. And immediately, I felt goosebumps, my heart felt like it stopped. And six months later, I was visiting her at an inpatient unit, bringing her lotions and soaps and candles to kind of soothe her. And that was really my first experience with a close friend of mine that suffered from severe mental illness. I also had a friend a year later And his girlfriend found him collapsed and dead on the floor because he had overdosed and he was suffering from severe depression. So I really think that uh, I've had a journey of knowing people that suffered from mental health, which really kind of led me into this area. And now I'm a chief information officer of two very large behavioral health networks in New York State. We cover about 160 Medicaid patients which uh, involves 80 agencies that oversee these Medicaid patients. Thank you, Elise, for sharing that and and your background and perspective. You know, I was uh, very involved with telemedicine in the spring of 2020 with the big COVID surge and and all the new patients that were trying telemedicine for the first time. A lot of it was specifically about COVID and where to get tested or whether they met the threshold for, you know, being seen in person. But it was you know, very quickly apparent that there was a lot of mental health, uh, you know, sometimes right under the surface, sometimes explicitly, uh, you know, uh, the purpose of the calls. And at the time, there was just so few uh, resources to point these patients to, uh, so few digital resources, at least. And, and it was also a time that, you know, the world was changing and a lot of, a lot of traditional uh, places uh, people could seek uh, 
care, they just weren't available. So it, it is great to really see these new offerings in this space for this often underserved population. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you know, we all know that COVID hit New York City hard when it first started, right? Or at least when it first came to New York City. And um, some of the agencies that we work with are homeless shelters, right? So we had to act quickly and move all of these individuals suffering from severe mental illness out of homeless shelters and into the hotels um, that were surrounding New York City. And, you know, despite the devastation of COVID, I think it did open up a big door to um, break down some of the barriers that yeah. these patients, these clients were experiencing. One of the big barriers are transportation to care and access to care and lack of motivation. So being able to conduct a telehealth visit and call up your therapist or your social worker or your case manager really was a lifeline to some of these individuals during the pandemic. Yeah. You know, great stories and, um, you know, so, so much to sort of cover, um, you know, pivoting a little bit on um, digital health and some of the solutions. Elise, um, are there any mental health solutions or products that you're seeing in the digital space that, that you like or think have sort of promise and whatnot? Well, definitely. I mean, so the mental health digital health space is flooded with apps now. And that's both a good thing and a bad thing, right? That's really exciting to the industry. It means that there's a lot more attention on mental health because we're listening to the market and how the market's shifting and we're paying more attention to um, the diagnosis around mental health. Um, and there's also a lot more options for individuals suffering from mental health. So before I get into the actual apps. I do want to pay attention to one uh, emerging technology that really has my eye, which is natural language processing. I think that is going to be a game changer for mental health. And the reason why I say that is because a lot of the information about mental health lives in case notes, right? It's not really structured data. It's all unstructured data. And that includes appointments, that includes goal set, that includes symptoms, um, that in some of the barriers that clients are finding that are not allowing them to receive the care that they need or to make those appointments. And so with natural language processing, I think that we can do some really cool things and interoperate some of the systems that are right now working in silos. And I also think it'll allow us to really form and leverage big data and analytics in a way that we haven't before. Love it. NLP, you know, I mean, since we are, since we're talking about um, NLP, you know, just one thought that comes to my mind, Lisa, is, you know, if you think about it, telehealth took off in a big way in the mental health space because it allows the patients to sort of avoid you know, additional discomforts that come with the management of their conditions. You know, it probably offers them a comfortable, safe environment automatically. So extending that sort of an analogy and, and to pick up on what you talked about, NLP, what do you think about sort of the role of, say, AI or machine learning to, um, to, to, to complement that and sort of, you know, make it, uh, make, make it deeper and better from an engagement perspective? So I find it very intriguing in how I would like to see more machine learning models be used for mental health specifically. It is very hard to do because we're, the data is so messy and it's incomplete, right? And 
it's very hard to quantify. So how can you quantify how depressed someone is or how suicidal someone is? Yes, I understand there are certain assessments like the PHQ-9 and the GAD-7, which are very um, common in the behavioral health space. But again, it's very hard to quantify, right? And so I think that we have to, I think it's important to understand where we are um, in the mental health space, where we are in the technologies that we have. And we're going to see artificial intelligence take off, but it's going to take us a while to get there because we need that NLP to help sort of categorize um, some of the items that we keep seeing that pop up, whether it's like over a telehealth visit, whether it's case notes, whether it's during therapy sessions, um, to be able to categorize the data so that we can really leverage artificial intelligence. Yeah, it's it's tempting to say that like, oh, this can all move, all these conversations and discussions and, and interviews uh, can move online because you don't need to take vital signs during a telemed during a, a mental health encounter. You don't need to palpate the abdomen or something. But there is, as you're saying, so much of uh, so much nuance to to properly diagnosing and monitoring someone's uh, recovery, and, and a lot of that does get embedded in the note. Um, and you know, Stepto and I love to talk about devices and, and monitoring and, and actually capturing, you know, like uh, patient movement and activity, and, and some of that can hopefully be helpful too as uh, clinicians try to make their uh, assessments. But gosh, I, I got I to gotta mention, though, um, I feel like I'm dating myself a little bit, but I remember uh, as a kid in the 80s, like logging into BBSs and playing with uh, ELISA, which actually I think dates back to the 1960s. And don't ask me what that acronym stands for, but I think it, it, it comes out of MIT and it was like this early chatbot that used natural language processing and it was kind of like a... Uh, proto therapist and so you would type in like I feel sad today and it would just re flip it back at you and say why do you feel sad today and like I, I think it's about school why do you think it's about school and it, it, it was it was clever for the time and it was I thought it was really cool but uh, fortunately I think the technology has come uh, a long way right <laughs> yeah I mean I and you know I get ask this question a lot as is there a room for chat box chat bots right and i think the short answer is yes but the long answer is it's complicated and again we have some ways to we have a way to go to get there um is that when you're talking to someone who has is suffering from mental health it's a very personalized journey for them. And we're not talking about calling up Apple and saying that my headphones are broken, right? We're talking true, true. about, yeah, I mean, we're talking about, wow, I'm in a really dark place or I'm hearing voices in my head or I'm going to do something that I feel I might regret tomorrow. And if you find out that you're talking to a chat bot and not a real person and you're not aware of that when you begin the conversation, I think that can lead to some very disruptive behavior. And I think we have to be sensitive around that. So where I see chat box going is maybe around kind of a common access point, right? Or helping to guide individuals to resources and services that they might not be aware of, or how to reach a person on the phone and uh, kind of going through that process and really leveraging the chat box for that. But there's going to have to be some sort of handoff to a live person. Interesting. No, wow, fascinating discussion. 
you know, let's now, um, you know, we, we also like to stay practical on this, uh, on this sort of podcast, like what's real or not, which is where's the money? I mean, there's so many needs that we're talking about, but we still have a gap there. Like people, are people paying for this thing? Are you seeing any models at least that are out there that, that will eventually and finally just come out and, and, and you know, put their money where their mouth is? <laughs> ah, Sadipto. I'm thinking of uh, Jerry Maguire where it's saying, show me the money. <laughs> uh, uh, all of the behavioral health and mental health agencies are screaming that, right? Like, where is the money? So before I answer that question, let me just step back and, you know, I cover a very specific population. I cover the Medicaid population. And this is a population of individuals that suffer from not just mental illness, severe mental illness. The acronym is SMI. You know, we all love our acronyms in healthcare. And these are the individuals that are really driving up the cost that's forcing us to look at other ways of care and solutions, right? And to kind of put that in perspective, Medicaid provides coverage to about one in five Americans. That equates to one about one in six dollars being spent in the healthcare system. So Medicaid is a huge customer and or funder, whichever way you want to look at it. When we look at the history of behavioral health providers, they were not included in meaningful use dollars. Therefore, they did not get the funds they needed to to roll out infrastructure that was important to their everyday tasks, right? So the EHRs, that are being used, they're not your EPIC, they're not your ECWs, they're behavioral health ONC certified EHRs, um, but they're not your common EHRs, they're smaller companies. And you know, to my surprise, most of the behavioral health EHRs don't even have appointment reminders or text message reminders. Now, when I go and get my nails done, I get three reminders <laughs> so that I don't miss my appointment. And I still miss my appointment sometimes. So imagine if you're a mental health patient and it's already hard enough for you to sometimes step outside during the day, much less make it to an appointment. What I'm trying to get to is that there's an infrastructure, not problem, but there is a lack of infrastructure for the behavioral health providers. Um, So before we can support all of these amazing digital health apps that are coming into the place, especially for the Medicaid population, we got to look at the infrastructure and make sure we have that infrastructure in place um, before we can invite these digital health apps in, or at least um, in streamline as we invite these digital health apps into our space. Now, in terms of paying for it, so this is not easy, right? Because again, like I said, it's really hard to quantify uh, where you are in your success journey of um, your mental health issues. That being said, I do think that there are some opportunities for like wraparound services and some admin fees to be placed into some of the reimbursement billing codes. I think we need to see more billing codes. I think we need to see um, an increased number of what those billing codes are worth to incorporate the implementation and the training that goes into adopting these digital health solutions. And then an increase, or actually not an increase, but you see the increase in the adoption of the digital health solutions. And then as we go, that billing code should also incorporate the license cost for those digital health solutions. 
That's interesting, um, you know, um, and, and thanks for clarifying because, you know, it, the, the vantage point we're getting from you, Elise, is uh, you know, the Medicaid vantage point and, you know, the payment structures, the billing codes and so on, you know, they, they matter there. You know, but what about a retail model? You know, do you think there's a parallel market where, you know, people, most more than likely people with disposable income who can afford it. So, you know, let's caveat with that, but they pay for it themselves. You know, mm-hmm. it probably offers more of a convenience to them and, you know, it may also offer a level of privacy because they probably don't want some some of these mental health issues, which, you know, unfortunately sometimes comes with stigma and whatnot to be shared with their insurance company or worse, their employer and so on. Thoughts on that? Certainly. So I think there's a huge B2C opportunity here with consumerized apps, uh, not the Medicaid population, but the individuals who have jobs that are covering their insurance, right? who have some money to spend, I I see an increase in individuals investing into their mental health, right? Still, mental health is hard to quantify. However, if... For me, I, you know, I purchase the Calm app. I pay, I don't even know how much it is, $80 a year, maybe it's more. Uh, What I think um, the new sort of models we're going to see is that I foresee employers reimbursing for those digital health apps, right? Reimbursing a percentage, similar to a gym membership, where if I go to the gym X number of days a week, I get back. $200 or $600 every six months. I think we're going to see an influx of companies wanting to get on the let's support mental health train and reimburse their employees for that. I also see individuals just honestly really, you know, mental health has really, uh, we've created a lot of attention around it. And that's to some of the influencers that have been talking about mental health. If you've been watching the Olympics, uh, there's been a lot of talk about mental health. And so it's really exciting to be in this space. And I think it's uh, creating mental health and making it more of a norm than something that's just happening to the weak and the poor and the scared and, uh, you know, the the ones that got looped into the bad crowds. I think now we're really kind of bringing this awareness where individuals are interested in investing in their own mental health. You know, you're right. And, you know, mental health, as we discussed uh, before the show, sort of excluded from meaningful use. And I couldn't help but also think of 21st Century Cures Act, which, you know, Sedipto... Uh, <laughs> yep, such you mentioned it at least once in every podcast. <laughs> yes, it's got to it's come up. But um, digitally sharing notes, we know this can be transformative. I expect it to be transformative. It's, it's already been influential in other specialties, but I've noticed at least psychiatrists tend to view this topic pretty differently because what they write down, what they uh, maybe take from the patient's story... Uh, I think they worry a lot that the patients might, if they were to read that, they might take things out of context or misinterpret it. And and also there's these exemptions to sharing notes uh, when it comes to patient uh, harm. Uh, so I think a lot of psychiatrists, at least, are opting out of, of, of that kind of digital note sharing. And I wonder if mental health might be disadvantaged as a result. Yep. So, Nick, I think what you just brought up is a great detail that people really look over and shy over. I've been paying attention to the Curazac as we all are following it. And when you talk about, you know, how much 
information is too much to share, right? And is it detrimental to a client or a patient if they view that information? Um, and here's what I kind of think about that is when we're talking about being patient centric, which is a buzzword that we use quite frequently, is that means that the patient is involved in their care from start to finish, or at least supposed to be. And so, you know, New York actually implemented home and community-based services, as actually most states did. And what that service is, you're going out into the community where the individual lives, where they feel safe, and you're meeting them and providing services. Therefore, you see a lot of staff taking iPads uh, over and writing in the case notes. And one thing that I think that we should look at in terms of adopting as just a workflow issue is that, you know, clients and patients, they should be part of that note taking. They should be part of writing the notes and writing their goals and seeing what's being written down about them. Um, because at the end of the day, when you leave that patient, they have to advocate for themselves. They have to advocate uh, when they are trying to get services or trying to get their green card or when they're trying to get housing or when they're trying to just speak to their sister or their brother or their father about how they're feeling, they need to learn to advocate for themselves. So they should absolutely be part of the note documentation taking process. Wow. Now, that being said, I understand that providers have a specific language in which they speak to each other. And the medical language can be very complex and, compli and complicated. I don't even understand all of it. So what I would like to see is maybe there's like a front-facing and a back-facing way that we share and display notes, that the front-facing way would be a simple summary of you know the person's visit, of the symptoms that they're feeling, of the um, issues that they're facing. And then with the back end, that's where it can be in, get into kind of the nitty gritty uh, medical terminology. When you think about when you're presenting, right, and you're using PowerPoint, I use images and I have those broad strokes that cover the key topics and the key goals of what I want to discuss. But within the PowerPoint, I have my own notes that are very detailed that only really I can understand or someone that is in my position or industry can understand. Perhaps if we kind of adopt something like that, I think that we can really put the onus back on the patient to really help manage their own care and empower themselves in managing their journey through mental health. Yeah, wow. yeah no, that's, that's well said. And, you know, the folks that really push the concept of open notes into the mainstream. Uh, you can go to opennotes.org and read about their 10 years of, of evidence and uh, uh, their progress. But they're, they're sort of talking about these collaborative notes with patients. That's like the next phase and that would be called our notes. But, but you're right, the clinicians have to you know, write with a variety of audiences in mind. Some of it is just for billing, some of it is for medical legal purposes, and some of it is for collaboration with other clinicians. And so uh, it, it is a challenge, but uh, I, I like that PowerPoint analogy where you have the slides, but you also have the little, uh, the little notes to yourself at the bottom. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good yeah. way of thinking about it. Well, um, this, is, this has been a fascinating discussion. You know, thank, thank you, Elise. I mean, you know, we can talk so much more about, and we will in future podcasts about, you know, what, what is the, what is the, uh, what is the, uh, you know, uh, input that we can get to startups in this space? What's a VC funding model looking like? You know, how else we can think about the retail space and so on. So, uh, 
Uh, Elise, thank you again for being part of uh, Digital Health Unfiltered. And uh, we appreciate your being here. Any last words as we close it out? Uh, my last words would be, you know, I think besides the workflow issues and whatnot, I think that this is an exciting time for mental health because we have a lot of opportunities. But I, I keep thinking about this quote from Bill Gates is most people overestimate what we can do in one year and underestimate what we can do in 10 years. So we got a lot of work to do, but I think that we're going to see some um, phenomenal changes in this space in the next couple of years. Uh, very inspirational. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank, Thank you. you. That's it for this week. Join us again next time on Digital Health Unfiltered. Please note that the views presented in this podcast are not to be construed as the views of Mount Sinai Health System or the Hospital for Special Surgery or any of its affiliates.